The following is an exclusive bonus episode. For more great content like this, help support us by going to patreon.com slash podcastersassemble. Link in the show notes. Nearly 30 years ago, John Hammond's dream of bringing the prehistoric past back to life became a reality thanks to Engine's dedicated team of scientists and their trademark state-of-the-art cloning technologies. An experience 65 million years in the making, Hammond spared no expense in creating this one-of-a-kind ecological preserve where people from around the world were invited to see dinosaurs up close and personal for the very first time. Jurassic Park was originally set to open its doors to visitors back in 1993 on the luxurious island of Isla Nublar. However, due to technical difficulties, its opening was delayed indefinitely. A few years later, another attempt to revive Jurassic Park was planned for a location in San Diego, but unfortunately befell similar complications which seemingly spelled doom for the project going forward. However, after careful planning, increased security measures, a complete remodel, clever rebranding, and the right amount of time for public amnesia, the world-renowned five-star resort Jurassic World was officially open to the public and celebrated its 10-year anniversary in 2015. During that time, we here at Engine have heard the rumors regarding genetic testing and mutations. We're also aware of reports of increased volcanic activity on the island. But we would like to put your mind at ease and assure all of our potential guests that Jurassic World is as safe as it's ever been. Now, we would like to cordially invite you to a wonderful world of a time long forgotten and revisit the magic and wonder of the Jurassic Park franchise right here on the latest season of Podcasters Assemble. Welcome to Jurassic Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back for another bonus episode of Podcasters Assemble. Uh, A few seasons back, we did a bonus episode on the Bond books while we were covering all the Bond movies. So, with us covering the Jurassic Park franchise, I figured it would be a great time to delve into Michael Crichton's original Jurassic Park novels. I'm Eric Slater from Epic Fails of History, and I'm joined today by Corey Torgerson from The World is My Burrito. Yo! How's it going, Corey? (laughs) It's going all right, man. Thanks for uh, finally getting me on for this podcast. Yeah, I mean, we've been trying to get this going for, I want to say, a couple months now, uh, but, you know, life is crazy. That's just how it be. Uh, But it does find a way. (laughs) Yeah, life uh, finds Um. a way. (laughs) How's Tampa doing? Uh, Tampa's good. It is is very hot, um, but... You know, overall, the area is nice and uh, I'm still still enjoying from podcasting from uh, the West Coast of Florida, of Florida. Yeah, that's awesome, man. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad we could uh, get together and do this. Yeah, no, it, it is great to, you know, finally be back and do something with you. We'll carry this podcast. We got this. <laughs> uh, so growing up, did you were you a fan of Michael Crichton? Have you read a lot of his other works? So I have not like the the very first time I read Jurassic Park uh, was about six years ago. Mm. Um, And that uh, so that's also the first thing that I've ever read of Michael Crichton. Uh, Mom had and probably still does have one of the original prints of uh, Jurassic Park. But as a kid, she felt like it was probably going to be too scary for me to read. Mm -hmm. Um, And it which is weird. Like as much as I loved uh, the films and loved dinosaurs, which I'd mentioned in the podcast um, from like in head knowledge to actual tangible objects, I had tons of dinosaur stuff, but I never really pushed 
the point of reading her copy of Jurassic Park, um, which is why like six years ago when I decided to read it, I'm like, man, I just feel kind of dumb. I literally rewatched the franchise like every two years (laughs) and I've only just now sat down to read the book. Yeah, definitely. So growing up, you know, as I've talked about on the podcast, on the, on the Jurassic Park movies, um, I definitely was a huge fan, a huge fan of the franchise, uh, but I didn't get to the book until I want to say high school. Um, and oddly enough, I had started reading other Michael Crichton books before I got to Jurassic Park. I don't know why, but like I read Congo Sphere. Um, I eventually read Timeline, which is great. I think that's probably his best one. Um, he, he did a lot of stuff over the years, like the Andromeda Strain, um, Next. Uh, he even uh, had a part in creating the original Westworld, which I thought was really cool. Uh you know, mm-hmm. definitely some similarities there to Jurassic Park. Um, but one of the things I always appreciated about Crichton as a as an author is that he really leads in he really leans into the hard science of things. He likes to look mm-hmm. at what could go horribly wrong if we're not careful. Uh, and what's cool about his books is that they're usually really grounded. They're not set in the far future. Um, they feel pretty believable and tangible. And uh, he definitely does his research. Definitely shows. uh, One of the things that I learned, um, you know, in in celebration of the new Jurassic Park movie um, and just kind of wanting to resubmerge myself into dinosaurs, uh, I picked up a couple of magazines and was surprised that, uh, like, Crichton was very successful outside of being an author. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, like, that, that is what took him into stardom, but the dude was insanely intelligent. Uh, he was a a doctor, and it was with um, Harvard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he went to Harvard and then switched to uh, Harvard Medical, right? Uh, but never actually practiced. Like he he got yeah. his MD, but uh-huh. never practiced. Yeah, um, isn't that crazy? So I, had, like, <laughs> I mean, he created ER respect. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Which was one of the other things that I read. It's like, oh my god, the amount of things that he was involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know it was, stuff. yeah. So I, I was very impressed to, especially, um, now having read Jurassic Park and the lost world, like they, they do feel like they were written by someone who loves dinosaurs, but you wouldn't expect them to be like an MD, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't expect it to be this person. You'd expect it to be just like a dino nerd, someone who might be an archaeologist or something like that. Yeah, like a paleontologist or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, he did pass away. I want to say it was like 10 years ago. Um, yeah, 2008. Uh, yeah. At age 66. Yeah, right. yeah. And it's it's unfortunate because like... This this guy he was kind of like Stephen King like he really cranked out a lot of stuff over the years and it just like it feels like we maybe missed out on some stuff you know apparently his last book um, Dragon's Teeth uh, he didn't actually finish um, I think someone came in and kind of finished it for him um, but uh, I always kind of wondered like if he did a third Jurassic Park what that would be you know <laughs> like would he ever want to revisit this franchise you know I. I wonder because uh and we'll we'll get into it down the line but I kind of feel like he wouldn't have gone that route only because of the route that he ended up taking with Lost World. Yeah. And at that point Makes sense. um 
like again in in my life Jurassic Park has always existed as a movie Mm -hmm. and even though it was only just a few years prior um, Jurassic Park the novel was a bestseller so there's you know a whole previous two generations of people that knew of Jurassic Park as the novel into the book Mm-hmm. But I feel like the generation that took it into its popularity um, and with the help of Steven Spielberg uh, were, you know, millennials, children and film Definitely. was where it was going to be. So, like, yeah. I feel like film took control of Jurassic Park, even though it started as a novel. Well, and this is one of those franchises like Star Wars. It became a phenomenon, like the toys, mm-hmm. the video games, like a lot of people have different connections to it. Um, but I do think um, if you're a fan of the movies, you absolutely have to read these books because as we're about to get into like <laughs> that, this is where it's at, I think, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, not a letdown. Uh, and, you know, if you, if you have fun, at, at least with the first two kind of three films, mm-hmm. um, you know, even if you enjoy some of the cheesier parts that are in two and three, uh, yeah. you you will like both of the books. Oh, totally. I agree. Um, so as far as my history with Jurassic Park, the book uh, specifically, um, I want to say I first read it in high school and I know I've, I've read it a few times since then. Um, I did the audiobook a couple years back before Fallen Kingdom came out. Uh, you know, listened to it with uh, Meg as we were on like a road trip or something. Really, Very really nice. dug it. Um, yeah, they did a great job with the audiobooks on these. Um, but for whatever reason, I never got around to reading the second one until recently, um, as we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, but that first book, man, that's, I want to say it's in my top five of all time. It's, it's a fantastic book. Wow. Um, but yeah, uh, so <laughs> uh, there's definitely a few differences between the book and the movie. Uh, we should probably get that out of the way right away, huh? Yeah, and I, I would say the the most simplistic way to sum up the differences is Jurassic Park, the novel, is a horror thriller. Oh, definitely, uh, definitely. It's it's not with a lot of techno quite- <laughs> yeah oh yeah man the um uh chaos titian or whatever mm-hmm. um, but ian malcolm has a lot of dense dialogue that really goes out of its way to get its point across uh, yeah <laughs> but i i was very surprised at how much of a horror this was for not being a horror book yeah um, yeah there's um some pretty terrifying moments. <laughs> like it kind of gets under your skin, like some of the graphic deaths and whatnot. Oh yeah. And it's for the most part, anything that you think is terrifying or like a jump scare in the films, it's much worse in the books. Definitely. And I, I think that's crazy. Cause I don't know. That's, that's actually not easy to do um, there. You know, obviously there's authors that have, pulled it off very successfully i think stephen king's up there as far as like jump scares and books and stuff but this one uh did a great job with that for sure like i was on the edge of my seat reading a book uh that doesn't happen a whole lot oh yeah same i uh so when i first read it i had picked it up right before an impromptu trip to california Mm. um 
to visit Brenda's family, it was kind of like, like last minute as in, I think I had like a, a week or a week and a half to decide if I was going or not. And I had right around that time picked up the book. So I'm like relaxing, you know, we're at an Airbnb in California, relaxing by the pool, reading nice. Jurassic park. And just like <laughs> you, it's like, Oh my God, you know, it's this nice, beautiful, sunny day. And I'm just in my head, like, Holy shit. Like there's so much <laughs> going on right now, you know, just, focused in on everything that is happening and everything that's about to happen. Definitely. I will say, uh, compared to the movie, I will say the book is more of a slow burn, but it definitely pays off um, because there's a lot of buildup to getting to the island to meeting the characters and all that. Um, we start out with, uh, let's, let's see, the first, I'm trying to remember, the first scene was with the girl, right? And the compies? Yeah, though it is uh, a newborn, it's not it's not oh, the same small yeah. child on the beach hanging out. It's uh, well, I think that uh, that did also happen. Um, but the one that sticks out to me the most is the newborn. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God, I got to go to the right book. Um, <laughs> You're good, man. Yeah. So there's um, they what they think are birds visiting a newborn and that is considered good luck uh, and this is oh, in oh yeah. my god i forget if this is cuba or where this actually took place is it costa rica i don't have costa rica there you go yeah because one of the uh, one of the big differences is that dinosaurs have already gotten off the island at this point <laughs> and yeah. made it onto the mainland I, and that's one of those things that first showed up was the compies yeah, they they show up uh, a babysitter. Um, that's probably the wrong technical term, but essentially a babysitter um, notices that there are like birds visiting a newborn baby in another room while the mother is sleeping, and mm-hmm. then uh, happen to find out that uh, they were not normal birds, but they were eating the baby's face. Um, yeah. So this thing that culturally was a good luck sign was not a good luck sign for this baby. Yeah, for real. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if it was that specific compi, but like there's a sample that's sent to a lab or something, right? What was it? uh, Yes, that. uh, Because I remember that being like a big uh, plot point that just wasn't in the movie at all, of course. Yeah, and that they sort of, well, yeah, they kind of, they, the Lost World, the movie, um, sort of dances around this first chapter mm-hmm. um, and like sort of making references to it, but it not being quite the same. And they yeah. never actually really address the escaped uh, dinosaurs either. Um, but not in this later. one, it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's only a few. It's not anything massive that's happening, but they do yeah. get um, I can't remember if it was pictures or. No, it was, uh, they did have a physical sample because yep. it was a howler monkey was eating one. Mm, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, we also get, there's this really ominous scene where a worker, like uh, one of the workers from the island is brought into a hospital with a wound and they say it's like a construction, uh, uh, what do you call it? Constru- um, and, yeah, construction an incident. Yeah, like an accident happened, but it's clearly like he was mauled by something. <laughs> um, and I, I'm guessing that's supposed to be the guy we see at the beginning of the movie 
uh, getting eaten by the raptor. Yeah. Basically kind of a, a similar, um, it, it's obviously not the similar story, but it's a yeah. similar uh, vibe. Like, you know, because that's also terrifying because that's it's one of those, you know, it's a rainy day. This guy gets airlifted in via helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly, and this was, uh, this was Guerrero, I think. There's a doctor... Find- there's a doctor character that isn't even in the movie. Um, oh yeah, no, that was a much bigger well, part of the book. Yeah, none of Jurassic Park happens um, outside of. Excuse me, none of Jurassic Park happens outside of Isla Nublar. So yeah, we get a ton of characters and character interactions. Um, but that I'm pretty sure is uh, Gennaro. Gennaro is the one yeah. who actually. Yeah, Gennaro uh, drops off the worker and there's like slashes in the back and like a weird white mucus that's, you know, also in the wound. And he's like, no, 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 this is definitely from uh, (laughs) some type of like a tilling machine or something, but it was something for moving earth. And that's, you know, that's what scratched his back up in a perfect symmetrical scratch. (laughs) Um, oddly enough, Gennaro is a very different character in the book. Um, he was kind of a throwaway in the movie and they kind of made him like a typical, uh, douchey lawyer. Um, mm-hmm. but he is kind of a central character in the book and he's kind of badass at a couple points. Like, I think he fights off a raptor or something. Yeah. So Gennaro fights off, uh, he's officially, um, he is still the lawyer, uh, but and his purpose is still sort of the same. Um, mm-hmm. One of the big things that they... So, to to clarify before going into a singular character, um, sure. all of this, the book has a lot of emphasis on um, Hammond is just kind of where the money is funneled to, mm-hmm. but Hammond is not the rich guy. Uh, like he may yeah. be wealthy, yes, but Jurassic Park is not run by him, and Jurassic Park is run by all of these corporations who are funding something that they they honestly don't even know what they're funding. Yeah, and that's right. Gennaro is the lawyer who want like he wants this to work out or be sh- well. No, I guess not. I guess he wants it to be the way that it should be. If it should mm-hmm. work, he wants it to work. But Gennaro is also that person that's like, if this needs to be shut down it needs to be shut down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When um, shit hits the fan later on in the book, he's kind of not on Hammond's side at that point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, but Hammond he, himself. Um, oh, sorry. No. Yeah. So we can go into Hammond real quick. So yeah, Hammond himself is probably the biggest change in, uh, between the book and the movie. Granted, he's still kind of the villain in the movies. Um, he, he does have an arc and he kind of realizes at least in that first movie, Oh man, I kind of fucked up. <laughs> um, but yeah. in the book, like he doubles down, like he's like, no, we'll just do it again. You know, <laughs> he's like a mustache twirling villain almost at, at a point, he you know, he's, is, he's capitalism character... embodied, you know? <laughs> yeah. Cause he, um, uh, what is it in film? And this is kind of like the, the biggest notice of his difference um, in film, it's Gennaro who mentions something about the money and Hammond is trying to correct him 
about, uh-huh. you know, children's smiles or some innocent BS um, mm-hmm. or, uh, but in, in the book, he's, he's very much about wanting this to be for profit. Yep. Um, and he's so very constantly angry mm-hmm. um, yep. in the book. Like he, he loses his cool sometimes. Um, but I, I will say for his character difference, like I, I like film Hammond more because I like to hate him more. Yeah. Um, like he's I think just it's, kind it's, of a jerk. Yeah. In the book. I think it's easier um, to hate him in the book. Like he is so clearly, uh, Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like he gets mad. He, he very like in so many instances evil, throughout the entire book. Yeah. Like literally through the entire book, he shifts blame onto everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, cause if memory serves towards the very end, he's like blaming woo for a lot of these issues. Yeah. <laughs> Wu's like, dude, I just work for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, I did what you told me to do. Like, this is not my fault. And, you know, being that everyone else is capable and that Hammond is not, um, Wu was trying to help, uh, you know, with computer issues, like getting the power restarted, like Wu was going all out for a man who loved the dinosaurs. Um, and then Hammond is like screaming and yelling at people. Like they, I think that's a constant thing is like, he constantly yells at people. Um, mm-hmm, definitely. And it is like surface level. It is very easy to dislike Hammond. But again, that's, I think that's why I like the movie one more is because he's more manipulative. He seems innocent, you know, and mm-hmm. having Attenborough playing him is like, Oh my God, how can you hate this guy? But he's a total piece of shit. Yeah. Um, and the book one is like, nope, this is the archetype that I'm supposed to hate. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, I guess he's a little bit more believable in the movie. I do like his character quite a bit in the movie. He's kind of got that grandfatherly charm, but it does like distract you from the fact that like, oh yeah, this guy, <laughs> you know, he, he is, um, yeah. He's just a cautionary tale, you know? It's like he's he let his ego get in the way, you know? Yeah. And uh, a lot of ego people paid the price the, uh, for it. The vision of more money. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, I don't remember. I never took a note of the actual number. Um, but they do make it a point to let you know that a lot of money was given to him to make this happen. Like millions upon millions of dollars. Well, he spared no expense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, in, in book, um, you know, in the films, we don't get to see, uh, quite where all of that went, I guess, technically by, um, the third film, you see where all the money went. Yeah. Um, but even in, uh, the books like Isla Nublar is above ground and below ground. Like there's a Mm. lot happening. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. This is a a lot more going on. And I do love that about the book that it goes into so much more detail. And I'm, you know, I, that's, that's one thing that's great about the movie is that it doesn't, you know, that it, it's so fast paced and tells you just enough, tells you what you need to know for the movie. Um, so as a movie, it's great, but it's a totally different experience of the book. Cause you have the time to really delve into those details. And, uh, mm-hmm. speaking of details, you get so many more dinosaurs in the book. Uh, it mentions, I want to say, uh, is it 16 different species? 
Now you don't necessarily see each of those, but it does talk about them. Um, yeah, and they may not all have like a large role, but um, the mm-hmm. aviary and that you know being a fun thing at how um, how much the movies continually pull from the books, but the aviary from the from Jurassic World mm-hmm. um, is the aviary from the first book. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the dinosaurs that they show in there are in the book, um, which I loved that callback. That was Um, the best thing about Jurassic park three was that they were using, they were taking the opportunity to film things. They didn't get around to putting in the first movie. And for whatever reason, whether it was budget or uh, maybe it was just pacing issues, you know Um, there was two giant set pieces that didn't make it into the first movie. And that was the aviary and the river ride. We kind of got both of those in Jurassic Park 3, uh, which at the time made me very happy because I was like, oh, it's from the book, you know? Uh, the, yeah. the movie, unfortunately, Jurassic Park 3 as a whole kind of sucks. <laughs> it's not a good movie. Uh, it's I think it's a fun, like, B-movie, like, B-horror movie, like, kind of a throwaway thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does kind of elevate it, the fact that it has those missing elements from the book. Um, in the book, during the river sequence, the T-Rex swims kind of like a crocodile mm-hmm. <laughs> which i remember being kind of terrifying um and instead in in jurassic park 3 of course you get the spinosaurus which was definitely a dinosaur that could swim yeah um, an aquatic dinosaur yeah exactly um so i thought that was interesting but yeah the uh the t-rex is such a big part of the book i mean obviously he's a huge part of the movie but like um, Grant and the kids are being chased by this thing for most of the book, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they're hiding behind a waterfall at one point, um, and uh, which the ended whole... up getting used in the second film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like so many, you know, if uh, if you are a fan of the films and you've seen every movie and haven't read the books, like you know, at least do yourself the favor of reading the first one because you'll yeah. see just how far that first book has influenced every single film. Oh yeah. Um, Definitely. Cause there, there's like so many notes that I put in here about when it's like, Oh, this is from this movie. Oh, but this is from this movie. Yep. You know, this is from multiple movies. Like, <laughs> well, in uh, uh, even, even fallen kingdoms entire plot uh, about the volcano, the volcano is mentioned in this first book, which I thought mm-hmm. was really cool. Uh, so it was like such a great setup that they finally paid off. Unfortunately, as we'll get into on those episodes, I don't think they paid it off as well as it could have been. Uh, but the concept was great. The concept was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's see. So uh, the probably the biggest character that I feel like most people love from the film, mm-hmm. uh, Ian Malcolm. Yeah. Um it takes them. I took a note. Uh, the first time they explain why the hell he's even there is on page two hundred and forty-four. <laughs> um, yeah, this is this is the Barnes and Noble edition, and uh, that has both books in one. And for reference, it is exactly four hundred pages. So over halfway, they tell you why Malcolm even exists. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, so it, 
which I didn't take the note of that, but I do have the page number and can look it up. Um, but I did think that was wild. Uh, I, I think, I think Goldblum does a better job of being Ian Malcolm than the book Ian Malcolm. Oh, I agree. And yeah, the, the only reason I say that is because they, they do use the words rock star to describe Ian Malcolm in both the book and the film. Um, True. But book Ian Malcolm at no point feels like a rock star. Yeah. He feels like a massive nerd. <laughs> yeah. It just, you know, he's very condescending and um, I don't know. He like very sort of anti people, uh, very, he only wears black and has like this whole long ass reason for why he only wears black. Um, yeah. And, and it's like, okay, you know, uh, I, I would say like, I, I love his very lengthy, um, monologuing in the book, but I, I can see him and hear him more as Jeff Goldblum than I can as the balding guy in the novel. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think they're definitely very distinct characters. Um, I I do prefer the Jeff Goldblum Ian Malcolm because it's it's just it's Jeff Goldblum, uh, but Ian Malcolm in the book is still I think he's an interesting character. But it's it's kind of funny how Crichton uses him as like just an exposition dump like for everything. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that does get like, if there's one complaint I have, it's, it's that, you know, like it, they take it, he takes it a little too far. Cause no one would talk like this, you know, yeah, <laughs> go on and on and on with these long monologues, you know? And, um, it doesn't feel natural, I guess. Um, but for the movie, they, they found a way to kind of make that character work, I think. So the, uh, I just looked it up. Um, and like, the, the reason he exists here is for the most basic reason that you could ever think of. Um, he was brought there basically to help it not go uh, astray. Mm, yeah. Like, because he's into, you know, the whole, the whole chaos, chaos thing, he has his whole, uh, what he calls the Malcolm effect. Um, which is basically Murphy's which, Law. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it really is it's just Murphy's law. Yeah. But they wanted him there to kind of observe and let them know when it was going to go to shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. And like what they could do to you know, basically, because if he's telling you, well, this is the only way that this can go like this. These events are going to lead to everything going mm-hmm. to crap. Um, then Hammond would just be like, okay, well, we'll just fix those things. Um, the yeah. problem being that it seems like Hammond and almost nobody ever really understood. Uh, I mean, Malcolm is the voice of hubris. Like, yeah, true. They're already playing with something they don't understand and thinking that they can control it. And yeah. the whole reason they brought Malcolm along is to try to control it even further by letting mm-hmm. him know when they're going to lose or by him letting them know when they're going to lose control. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, he he is kind of the biggest slap in the face to everyone. <laughs> um, so his yeah. his existence is ironic. You know, it's it is a good inclusion though. I love it. Definitely. Uh, I guess we didn't really talk about Grant and the kids yet, or Ellie. I guess. 
<laughs> Grant and Ellie and the kids. Yeah, Grant, Ellie and the kids. <laughs> the only thing I get, I mean, the only thing I can really remember differently about Grant, I guess he's kind of a different character, but like uh, he was described as having a beard. Uh, and he seemed like more of like a manly man, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's an outdoorsman. Uh, he had a beard and a barrel chest. So like, no lie. Yeah. When I read it this time, all I could think of was that Alan Grant was Ron Swanson. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's a good like, description. Uh, yeah. As, yeah. As soon as I read it, I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot stop thinking about this. He would totally be like at home in a log cabin uh eating pancakes i don't know <laughs> like, yeah no uh, i will wearing say flannel yeah um one of the things that i loved because like i i looked up um the jurassic pedia thing on him as well mm-hmm. uh, but it does in the novel it does say that he dislikes uh, what he calls teacup dinosaur hunters which are academics you know, teacup meaning that they're just sitting there reading or whatever yeah um he's a field guy yeah, he's a field guy. Now, an interesting change in our history, real world history. Yeah. Um, the hobbyists, because archaeology, as they constantly make jokes of in uh, predominantly the first and sixth film, mm-hmm. um, you don't make a lot of money doing this. Yeah. Uh, and they have started giving people less money, apparently, in time. Oh, so that's terrible. The some of the best like modern archaeologists and some of the best fossils that have been found uh-huh. were found by people who do this as like a very um sincere hobby. Uh yeah, like they'll nice. be a doctor or something like that and then they'll take a month or two off and go somewhere specifically to do archaeological digs. Wow. Um, so the the most recent Nat Geo article I have, I think they were saying, um, I don't, it's either a Mosasaur or like a relative of it, but it's definitely like an aquatic, an aquatic finned dinosaur. Um, like one of the most perfect skeletons, uh, was found by a hobbyist who currently has it hanging in his living room. That's nuts. Yeah. So there are a lot of fossils that either they will keep at home and let, um, you know, archaeologists come out and, you know, do research on it. Uh, or maybe they will donate it to a museum or something. Um, or maybe not some might donate it, but others like they're just, it's on loan to the yeah. museum. So I, I, I do think that that's, you know, a, a funny shift from literary, you know, fiction about real history to where real history has gone. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that's that's really unfortunate to hear. I didn't realize that myself. Um, it, I guess it kind of makes sense. Uh, it seems like it'd be tough to get funding these days and all that. Yeah, uh, that's kind of depressing, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's just like what happened with like NASA and stuff. It kind of like got thrown to the side because the Cold War was over. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like it, they have to justify their existence. You know, scientists just in general, I guess. But it does give hope to all those people who were doing something else and like the idea of archaeology mm-hmm. but just don't want to try to do it full time yeah yeah no that's a good point yeah so, silver lining <laughs> um oh but, man there was something else i was gonna talk about i totally forgot shoot 
If you're a fan of this podcast and want to see it continue, help support us on Patreon, where you can unlock tons of exclusive content, including, but not limited to, movie commentaries, ad-free versions of our promo specials, extended cuts, early access to new episodes, behind-the-scenes clips, first access to merchandise, blooper reels, and even a chance to vote on what we cover next on our podcasters' disassembled episodes. Just head right on over to patreon.com slash podcastersassemble. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash podcastersassemble. Link in the show notes. Yo, this is Corey with The World Is My Burrito podcast, a.k.a. Twimby, a personal project where I educate my listeners as I dive into various pop culture topics that alter the world around them, yet somehow fell to the wayside. Do you know who almost single-handedly created the manga industry of today? Which major world event changed the horror film industry as a whole? How did comics affect the world's perception of nuclear energy? Journey with me to learn some random stuff. From Eric Slater, creator of Epic Fails of History, comes a bold new vision of the future in his latest book, 2299. The first thing I notice is the deafening silence of the void. Feels like plunging into arctic waters. Nothing reaches my lips. Nothing but vacuum. My body fails me for the last time as I drift helplessly towards oblivion. Darkness envelops me. Lady Death beckons, and I fall into her cold embrace like a long-lost lover. As the end draws near, I can't help but think back to the beginning, and the case that led me here. 2299 is a sci-fi noir about a detective on the edge of the abyss. While investigating a cold case on Vanaheim, a space station orbiting Neptune, Desmond Faust finds himself ensnared in a web of lies and murder. Ten years of being a freelance detective, and I'm still no closer to solving my own problems. After signing the divorce papers back on Phobos, I left that dusty rock behind for good. I spent the next several months drifting from orbit to orbit, scraping by with what little charm and stubbornness I had left in me, looking for work, searching for meaning, but only ever finding myself staring into the black hole at the bottom of the bottle. My half-assed quest for self-enlightenment eventually led me past the asteroid belt, where I stumbled into an opportunity as a private eye. They say you can start over on the fringe. I was desperate for a new life, whether it was in this world or the next. The closer he gets to discovering the truth, the more aware he becomes that he might not leave this place alive. Eric Slater's 2299 is available now on Amazon. Ellie, we still have, which I don't have any particular notes. The well, kids. Ellie, I mean, she's not a super developed character or anything, but mm-hmm. she does. She is a pretty similar character in both the book and the movie, so. Um, she's yeah. kind of a badass, you know, <laughs> it is, it is very Strong easy. Character. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to picture film Ellie as book Ellie. Like yep. there's, you know, it's not the difference between Sam Neill and Ron Swanson. Um, <laughs> yeah, that character is pretty different. Or like, again, uh, Gennaro being almost a similar, like Ron Swanson type character, um, and then they have him. Oh my God. I didn't even think about it. Uh-huh. Um, film Gennaro, uh, is basically book Malcolm. Okay. Yeah. I could see because that. Yeah. He's skinny. He's balding. 
Yeah, um, he kind of is visually. Yeah, at least as <laughs> aesthetics go. So, yeah, yeah it's. Um, but that one character, uh, Ellie, is like spot on. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And um, the kids. The it's kids. A super. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. I was gonna say the kids. Yeah, they're basically kind of swapped. Because uh, I remember there was an older brother and a younger sister. But uh, this is one of the changes I kind of liked in the movie is that they both kind of gave them something to do in yes. the movie version. Because in the in the book, the younger sister was kind of useless. Uh, she, but... <laughs> her most used line um, is either like "I'm hungry" or "I want ice cream," but one of those is the most used line, and the other one is the second most used <laughs> line from her for the entire uh, book. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess from like, uh, you know, a written perspective, she's she's the only innocent thing there. True. Yeah. Um. So like, does her character do anything? No. But again, taking into consideration that the novel is more horror, mm-hmm. um, yep. that sort of stacks onto it. That it's like number one they should not even be here. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then number two, she really shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause the she novel has definitely like, plays that up. Yeah. She doesn't even have any interest in it. And I, I do think like it's, it's one of those like shitty scenarios. Um, but I do think somewhere in the book, they kind of state that it's because like the parents were off doing something and it's almost like they're shafting the grandkids. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the movie, I remember there's a line about their parents getting divorced, and that's why they were with their grandfather. Uh, I don't know if it's the same with the book because it has been a, like I said, a couple years since I read that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it it totally works for the book because, like you said, she's an innocent. It. Well, I remember reading it and being like, "Are they going to kill these kids? I feel like these kids are not going to yeah. get out of this book alive." Someone's um, going to die. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's a few, there's a few sequences with them. Like we mentioned earlier that are definitely different. Uh, the car scene, uh, is definitely different. Um, we don't have like the car in the tree. I don't think Mm -mm. all that's different, but, uh, yeah, we do get some good sequences though with these characters. One of the weird, uh, funny differences, uh, in the car sequence specifically is Mm -hmm. that, Ed Regis. Ed Regis is the one in the car, not the lawyer. Um, yeah. If you haven't read the book, Ed Regis is, uh, oh my God, what's the phrase? He's their uh, PR guy. So Ed Regis yeah, is that's head right, of public that's right. relations. Yeah. I forgot so he about wants that. everything to look good, but he offers Tim, who is now the younger one, or um, uh-huh. the older one, I'm sorry. Uh, he offers Tim the night vision goggles. Whereas skinny lawyer Gennaro in the film, it's like, put them down. If they're heavy, they're expensive. (laughs) It's like, what a dumb little difference. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's a lot of little things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you brought up Regis. He's, um, technically in the movie, but he's like one line of dialogue. I think, uh, he's a very throwaway character. He's basically a cameo. Uh, but yeah, he's he's a pretty big character in this, um, at least for the tour and all that. Yeah, Regis is uh, like Regis and um, 
he spends a lot of time with the kids. So he's basically in place of the lawyer from the film. Um, mm-hmm. And even the, the spot where he gives the goggles to Tim, that is when they happen to notice that there are Raptors on the boat heading to the mainland. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, it's, yeah, because they evacuate the whole island, right? Yeah, they they do evacuate the the whole island, um, with the exception of a couple of people left over. So, you know, again, they never really use that in any of the movies, like the the accidental leaving. Um, so, in the book, you have some copies mm-hmm. that get out, and that's just the small scale. Like, Procom Signathus yeah. are pretty small. Um, they really only good at killing infant children. Um, but in yeah. this one, instead of looking for or spotting the T-Rex, Tim happens to see raptors playing on a boat that they know is heading to the mainland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a cool little detail. I forgot about that. Um, we also get, so there, there's this one weird scene towards the end, uh, where Grant, Grant, I think it's Grant and Ellie studying the raptors and they're, they have like this, um, this thing where they're like looking to north, I want to say there's like this magnetic connection or something. Uh, it's like this thing birds do, I guess. <laughs> do you remember this? See. Cause that had to do with, was that where they nested? Or something was like that, that. Yeah. It, I do not remember that. But I just um, remember there being a lot more like details like that about their behavior and stuff. Um, yeah. And a lot and of that really. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of that was still very um, conjectural because, you know, we didn't really yeah, know exactly. as much about how they actually would have acted in groups, but there is, so th- there's a lot more with Raptors in this book, like in general. Oh yeah. Um, there's more about their behavior uh, early on, so there's no theme park ride uh, for the mm-hmm. introduction to Jurassic Park. Um, they go and they meet Dr. Wu face to face. And they go yeah. into like a children's playroom and see a baby raptor. Um, and like the baby raptor, uh, what is it? I think it's Grant, like bends over or something, and it leaps over his head and into Tim's arms. Um, Mm-hmm. but it's like super friendly because it's a little baby. Um, but then later on they use that Raptor to find the Raptor nest, which is underground. Like they, they burrowed through a very like form fitting hole, um, and had an entire underground nest, which is, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Vastly different from any of the movies. Um, and that had to do with, and I think that's probably what you're thinking of is where they chose to nest. It was due yep. to the temperature. Um, oh, right. Yeah. The, there was something, and I think it was the Raptors watching the boats leaving because they mm-hmm. gathered on the beach at one point and they were like looking to a certain direction. So yeah, they, inherently knew that there was something in that direction, which is why some Raptors got on the boat to go that way. Yeah, definitely. Like they were migrating. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's interesting. Michael Crichton, he, 
chose to call them velociraptors, but what he was actually describing was a dinosaur called, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not going to say this right. Dino- exactly. Deinonychus? Is that how you say it? Yeah, Deinonychus. <laughs> um, so, it's a weird thing, because I was looking this up, because it's like, yeah, I get it. We know that raptors are small, but I was interested in like the time frame of when this was made. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't find the dating of it and like not, you know, Wikipedia doesn't list the dates. Um, but the Raptor skeleton that Grant was first looking up in the movie, mm-hmm. um, it was called Velociraptor Anteropus. And okay. I found a video where like it, it was as opposed to being like a bashing you know, the things that Jurassic Park did wrong, it was more of like an educational on like the, di- like the history of raptors, basically, in conjunction yeah, a with lot Jurassic Park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, because like, uh, who was it? Crichton knew an archaeologist, like the guy who basically knew everything there was to know about Deinonychus. Um, like he was the, like the man and they were personal friends. Um, so Crichton constantly went to him. Well, for a short period of time and around the time the book was written, um, there was the Velociraptor Anteropus, which was later renamed as Deinonychus Anteropus. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Cause a lot of, the generic thing that I've heard or read is they called it Velociraptor because more people know what that name meant. Like mm-hmm. the first Velociraptor skeleton cool. was discovered in 1923. Oh yeah. It does yeah. sound really cool. And it's, and it's easier to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, there's also a, there's also a Utah Raptor, which is like a larger version, uh, which mm-hmm. is kind of, I guess, similar to the movie version, but um it's not a, it's not the kind of detail that bothers me. I just thought it was interesting, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and there's um, a lot that has been learned. And one of the things that I, um, like, the, the the one thing that I will great greatly disagree upon, um, mm-hmm. and in this video, the guy even mentions, like, how much time they spend talking about the genetic recreation of these creatures. Like, yeah, it's it's not very long in the movie, but it is a conversation. It is much lengthier in the book. Um, But they, again, they're like inserting random DNA to like make this work. Um, Yeah. Yeah. They're just fragments that they're getting. So yes. And they don't always know what they're being provided with, which is something that is mentioned in both book and film is that they're kind of hoping, um, that they know what they're getting. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. Th- when we get to the next monsters, book, they're not real yeah. dinosaurs. And the book yeah. clearly points that out, which I love, uh, which obviously explains, you know, why, you know, as we've learned since these movies and the books have come out, um, you know, a lot of dinosaurs had feathers and things like that. And obviously the Jurassic park dinosaurs for the most part don't. Um, but that's one thing that kind of explains that away, you know? 
Yeah. It's like they're they're mutations. They're not real dinosaurs. Not yeah. to mention, if we're taking it too realistically, these creatures would not be able to survive in the current atmosphere. You know, <laughs> at yeah. least not be able to thrive because the oxygen content and whatnot. But that's a so whole other thing. <laughs> I, I think that Michael Crichton kind of, you know, it, it, it's obviously not like a BS thing because there's no other way to do this. But yeah, that's kind of like writing in his own salvation is genetic mixing. Yeah. So like definitely it kind of doesn't really matter. Like how can you go wrong when everything was written to be chaotic in itself? Um, <laughs> exactly. Because going back yep. to the, the baby Raptor and it's only ever mentioned for the baby Raptor that was in the playroom. Um, mm-hmm. It could camouflage. It could alter its skin color. Uh, oh, I don't yeah. necessarily think camouflage was a word that was used, but it could change its skin color. Mm-hmm. Yep. And That's it's right. the only one that could do it. So it's like, you know, chameleon DNA I, or something. <laughs> so either, uh, actually, you know what? Hold on. I, I don't know if it's this one or the, I think it's the next one that where they, yeah, it's lost world where they go into it a little bit more. Um, in this yeah, one, they, they only mention that the Raptor, um, right, wait, I even have a page number. Let's see. Um, but the next one they mentioned, um, uh, there's, oh, it's not squid. There's two. Oh my God. <laughs> no, go there's ahead. There's two big, there's two big carnivores we see in the second book as we'll get into at the, towards the end, uh, that can camouflage, which I thought was really cool. Um, I think they were Carnotaurus, Car- Carnotaurus, Carnot- uh, Carnotaur. Yeah. 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 In the second book, the Carnotaurs um, could do it. So they don't. Yeah, it it does. um, It doesn't confirm that they have like chameleon DNA in their system in the book. Um, Lex just says that the raptor is a chameleon because it like visibly changes color in front of everyone. Yeah, there's definitely some stuff implied. Um, And (laughs) another random detail. Oh, wait, before I get into that, I'm sorry. More on the dinosaur thing. Um, One one great thing about Crichton. uh, Sorry. One one of the great things about Crichton's writing in this first book is that um, he really pushed the idea that dinosaurs were more... Um, had more in common with common birds with uh, modern birds than than like lizards and stuff like that and even though that was an idea going around at the time it wasn't like um, mainstream but after this book more evidence came out in support of that so he was kind of ahead of his time in that in that regard yeah Um, because that is a very big point uh because I, I don't think that anything is ever necessarily mentioned as being feathery. Um, and even like in the most up to date of uh, like archaeological studies, we may know that dinosaurs had feathers. Some did, but we don't know the density. Um, yeah. There's a so lot it's of like, debate. Yeah. Because I mean, obviously we're just piecing together 
you know, clues from the distant past. But uh, the T-Rex, there's a lot of debate about the T-Rex now because now there's evidence that they may not have been fully covered in feathers. Um, and then something about, there's a lot of stuff about like how larger carnivores may not, they may not, you know, they might have shed their feathers. You know what I mean? Mm. When they got to a certain size. And, uh, you know, we don't really know for sure because that was 65 million years ago. 65 plus you know and i Uh, the first book i think does a pretty solid job of like keeping that at the forefront that it's like mm -hmm. and the second book as well um yeah though i think it's almost more detrimental in the lost world which we'll get to that oh i agree um get into that soon (laughs) but it, it is like they keep that at the forefront that it's like number one we don't know what dinosaurs could do and number two we don't know what our meddling has changed exactly exactly and of course you know the environment conditions like there's so many variables here and that goes back to chaos theory which Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think is what makes this first book so brilliant is that those themes just go together so well (laughs) it's like a perfect storm of ideas uh and it just it's brilliant i really do think so um all right so the ending Unless there's anything else you want to talk about first. Um, Other than uh, we we missed another very important character uh, whose motivations are very different. Nedry. Oh, Um, that's right. Oh, yeah. The whole Biosyn uh, subplot. I almost forgot to mention that. Which it I (laughs) I will admit, like the the conversation between Nedry and Dodgson, um, it's it's very similar Uh, But the Mm -hmm. biggest thing, and I think this kind of goes um, even further into like how much of a dick Hammond is. Um, Yeah. So in in the movie, Nedry's motivations are money. Um, Mm -hmm. Where it's like he's about to get a lot of money from Biosyn. And while he is going to get a lot of money from Biosyn, that is not why he decided to do this. Yeah. so Injun, which is a big, a much larger character um, in the books than it, it like really are. No, I guess not. Delete that. You're good. Um, you're good. So Nedry is disgruntled because Injun altered his agreement. Um, like he did everything that they'd asked him to do uh, as far as like setting up their systems. And then they were like, well, it's not working. And he's like, well, I told it to do what you wanted me to tell it to do because they didn't tell him anything. Nedry doesn't know anything about the island um, in this particular scenario. So he's like, Hey, I I did what you wanted me to do with everything that you told me. So you need to pay me extra. And not only would engine not pay extra, but they blackmailed him by sending letters of unreliability to his employers. Yeah. So they basically cock blocked him from ever getting another job. So yeah. it's, it's, he's tiny, actually like, but like, it changes yeah. everything. Like he's, oh, a, yeah. he's a, he's almost an underdog. He's like a hero. He really is <laughs> fighting like, against the man. <laughs> yeah. He's fighting against Nedry the man. The and like all of the, um, the ill intent in my mind is justified Yeah, because he's like, well, they're not going to give me extra money. They're making me work a lot harder. Fuck and these guys. so I'm, yeah. yeah. Um, but <laughs> because we don't know anything about Dodgson, but um, uh, Dodgson Dodgson was only successful 
by like getting on the backs of other people. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, he he was like the ground floor He's guy, a manipulative like, he got, son of a bitch. Yeah, very yeah. manipulative, but also like you know he had good ears and good eyes. Um, so he was the guy who sought Nedry out and was like, you know, what is going on? And you know, let me give you money. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's. I feel that Nedry is much more justified in his decisions um, because, you know, it's like Vader. It's like, I have altered the deal. Pray I do not alter it further. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. No, totally. I th- I'm glad you brought that up because Nedry is definitely an interesting one. I, I remember really loving the whole Biosyn uh, subplot from the book, and it's just almost completely absent from, absent from the movie. Like, it's there... A little bit, you know, because you got, of course, Nedry and Dodgson in one scene. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's kind of the uh, the catalyst for everything that goes wrong in the movie. But it's it's a much bigger um, part in the book, which I liked. Yeah. Uh, and as we'll get into, I'm, I'm really happy that the new movie addressed that finally <laughs> after yeah. all this time. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that ending, though. Um this is where it deviates pretty strongly from the movie. Um, so Hammond dies. <laughs> yeah. Hammond gets eaten by compies and it's gruesome and it's justified. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, she I just was, remember it being a really great scene. Yeah. And it's uh, the, it's one of those things. It's like, I, I do love, like, I love that Hammond is openly a jerk. Um, I love how he dies but in the films, like I said, I still love that Hammond. You get to dislike him more because he's a greater asshole. And mm-hmm. I really dislike in the films that he doesn't get this dishonorable death. Yeah. Like in the book, it's just it's so innocent and perfect and dumb. Uh, I, I feel like it would have been hard to to have this scene in the movie, given you know, everything, you know, as it is in the movie, like Richard Attenborough, uh, Attenborough, 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 you have to say, yeah, yeah. it always corrects me. (laughs) We all get it wrong. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like he, like we said, he's kind of a different character. He's still a scumbag, but like, I don't know. It would have been kind of rough to watch that, you know, but like this version of the character, I have no problem with him getting eaten. Yeah, I, I just kind of wish they would like have mentioned that off screen and like Jurassic World or Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And oh, it's yeah, like, it's like, oh, oh how'd he die? It. Like, uh, you know, some kind of final destination way. Like, that's basically yeah. what this was. Now, there is a line. I think you pointed this out to me. Uh, there's a line in Camp Cretaceous that actually mentions how Hammond died in the book as a rumor, though. Yes. And that, oh, it was so good because they're they're at the old <laughs> building and um, yeah. the kids are right outside. And one of them, I don't know if it was the, um, no, it was the the athletic chick, and I can't think of her name right now. Um, but she I can't said she any of those characters' names. <laughs> yeah, but she said she loved um, like rumors and stories about like park owners dying specifically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so she's like, you know, I heard he got eaten by compies. And they're like, no, that didn't happen. (laughs) Um, Because like, that's not how he died. Yeah. 
Well, for all we know, it could have been how he died because we haven't seen him since The Lost World. And in The Lost World, he set up Site B as a nature preserve. For all we know, maybe he went to visit and then never came back. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so that's my the, headcanon The seventh now. movie will um, address oh, that. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's clearly not around by by the fourth movie, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but... It- yeah. yeah, so, so the, the ending, and this this is going to be very important for the next book. Um, yes, 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 yes. So Malcolm, uh, it's never officially stated that Malcolm died. Um, a lot of the similar things happen, like he is attacked by a Tyrannosaurus Rex in a very lazy yeah. way, which does still injure him. It gets infected. Um, they can't get but him off he the was island very- in time. He was cowardly in this version, you know, as in the other version, he was at least trying to divert the T-Rex from the kids. If I'm not mistaken in this one, he was just running away. Yeah. Um, trying to save himself. That the whole, that whole scenario was very different because he was, um, uh, trying to help where he could, but they loaded him up with morphine. So he was like getting existential. Um, mm-hmm. But it is alluded that he dies. And like the lines specifically are, um, uh, let's see. So everyone's like leaving the island at this point. And Grant asks Muldoon, who's alive, um, Mm -hmm. you know, asking if Hammond is okay. And Muldoon says, no, Compy's got him. What about Malcolm? Grant said. Muldoon shook his head. It's the only thing is that Muldoon yeah. shook his head when asked if Malcolm. So like. Uh, so maybe he was like, God damn it. He survived. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it is just <laughs> it's like. A weird it's weird reaction. Never yeah. Officially it's stated. At. It's very greatly hinted. Like the scenario leading to, you know, his death. And that line, like, obviously, yes, that very greatly hints that he died, but it never mm-hmm. says that he died. Yeah, I, I thought that was really frustrating going into the second book that they didn't explain it. You know, they just like, oh, he's OK. You know? Yeah. A little bit yeah. traumatized, but he's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um. But yeah, overall, I really I really dug the ending. Um. I seem to remember there was some kind of military presence at the end like they quarantined off the island or something um, so um because this was illegally happening um, yeah they and i don't think anyone uh is there for this but the intent is that it's going to get firebombed by the costa rican government that's what it is yeah which is like the whole the whole reason that Crichton had to come up with site B because <laughs> he basically, he, he, there was yeah. no, uh, what do you call it? There was no strings left, you know, like everything was tied up very, yeah. very neatly in this one book. So to correct myself, cause it's on the same page as, um, sure. Like Malcolm's not death. Uh, Grant watches it get firebombed. Oh yeah. There you go. Yeah. And it says, <laughs> yeah, um, it basically gets it? nuked. Uh, uh, 
Grant looked back just once and saw the island against a deep purple sky and sea cloaked in a deep mist that blurred the white-hot explosions that burst rapidly one after the other until it seemed the entire island was glowing, a diminishing bright spot in the darkening night. Mm, so like yeah, this happens at night and this is just like it's Lighting daytime the on the island yeah yeah <laughs> having a, yeah. a party over I w- there i would have loved to have seen something like that in the movie obviously that didn't happen in canon in the movie verse because we got jurassic world later on uh but <laughs> yeah just great imagery like that's that's a satisfying ending right there yeah just nuke it <laughs> nuke it from space the only way to be sure <laughs> burn the problem Um, yeah (laughs) and everyone got to hang out in uh san jose for a while Mm -hmm. um right after that because they couldn't leave the country until after like that like um grant ellie the kids like nobody could leave until after the government was happy with you know their answers and how everything turned out yeah definitely um so uh how do you feel about this compared to the movie uh revisiting both of them recently it is like do you like one better than the other or (laughs) so i i definitely don't like one more than the other um and this just comes back to like spielberg's perfection in making the film yeah um and spielberg knew what he was doing he definitely made the the film more kid-friendly um, oh, definitely. Like in my mind, and I'm pretty sure I said on the episode, but I would love to see a Jurassic Park that was more like the book. Um, but at that yeah, point, like maybe it would like be a mini series. Um, yeah, it's like I don't think it should exist at this point because of where we've yeah. taken Jurassic Park. <laughs> For sure. Um, like Camp Cretaceous is a lot of fun. Um, you know, I still think the films are fun. Um, and there is something to be said about like holding this book and having a horror book and then watching the movie and have something that's magical because Jurassic Park, the book is not magical. Like it's terrifying. Yeah. It's nightmare fuel. Uh, it's almost, yeah. Very tonally different. Um, Oh yeah. It's it's dark. I mean, uh, Isla Nublar, Nublar meaning uh, mist or clouds. Yeah, clouds. Because um, right. the island was always covered in mist, which is not something the mm-hmm. movies did. So, like, from the beginning, they're setting this up as a horror film. You know, as a horror yeah. book. Like, yeah. you know, everything about it is terrifying. The events that unfold are terrifying. Um, you know, from the power to finding vehicles like so many people get injured in such worse ways um, mm. to where like in the film like Gennaro dies on a toilet and that's just funny <laughs> like it's terrifying I mean, that yeah gets... it is kind of yeah you're right it is played for laughs at points um, it's almost like I don't know to lighten the mood because there are some scary parts in the movie for sure but like yeah it is different it's a very different thing i know it's hard to compare these two like you said uh they're they're different um a lot of similarities obviously like it's not like the movie is not it's not like the movie's not faithful to the book because it is like it sticks to Mm. it pretty closely but it chooses what it sticks to and it 
and because like you said spielberg is um at the front of this like it's so well made it's it's almost Mm. a perfect movie but the book itself is i mean it's a great book you know (laughs) i feel like they're both like the best they can be um so it's one of those rare cases where i don't know that i can say the book is better than the movie they're just different you know the movie is great it's one of my favorite movies it's one of my favorite books but they're not the same (laughs) yeah agreed (laughs) that makes any sense you know (laughs) and that just kind of seems to be tied yeah where where it should stay it's it's a rare instance Mm -hmm. when that happens Um, oh it's so i yeah it it is one of those that like you're not I don't know, like you can read Harry Potter and be mad at a lot of the subtle things that were missed from the books to the yeah, film. Sure. Um, but when you read this again, like you said, it is so very different while being the same. So you, you feel like you're on familiar territory. Um, but it surprises you. Yeah. You know? It just, yeah. It just rips the rug right out from underneath you in the beginning. Uh-huh. Um, you know that this is going to be very different and like, I I think reading the book and then going to the film or vice versa, you'll always be like enamored with it. Like, Oh my God, like both of these are so amazing, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, One final thing I want to mention about the book. I have the uh, 25th anniversary edition. It's this nice, nice, like white cover red lettering. Um, but one of my favorite things, and I don't know if this was in the original edition, but it has a map of Isla Nublar, which I thought was really cool. Um, I also have, I, I don't know if it was in the original, original, I'm kind of, I almost bet it would, uh, because the Barnes and Noble one does as well. Oh, okay. Uh, nice. Like the, the, it's a hardback. So the actual like hardback itself has part of the map on it. That's awesome. I've always loved that kind of thing. Like like reading The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings or whatever. I always love having like a map to reference, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's cool that they included that here. All right. So Jurassic Park might be a perfect book. I don't think I can say the same about the sequel. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Like I was saying earlier, I was a huge fan of the first book. I've read it several times. This is my first time reading the second book. And I don't know why, because I've read a lot of Crichton over the years. Um, I, I think it may have been like, I just heard it just wasn't as good and I didn't want to like sully my Mm -hmm. fandom or something, you know, like, so I just avoided it until recently, but I'm kind of glad I finally read it because I didn't hate it, you know, it's yeah, it's, it's not terrible. It's just, um, it's just kind of a pointless sequel, right? Like it kind of is. (laughs) I, I think it introduces some fun ideas. Um, but even so Michael Crichton, like obviously tons of people wrote him to say, Hey, you should write a sequel. Um, especially Mm -hmm. after the film blew up, like only more mail came in saying, Hey, you should do a sequel. Um, yeah. And he himself is the kind of person who's against the idea of sequels. I could see that. I I understand that, (laughs) you know, the first one didn't need a sequel. It was, uh, it was perfect, but because it was such a huge hit, it was a blockbuster, sequels were inevitable, you know? <laughs> yeah, if not him, then someone. Um, yeah. But he did end up caving and, you know, made the sequel. And, uh, like, I, I think even he himself, I forget what the article said, 
Uh, but I think even he himself wasn't really feeling it until towards like the end of writing it. Um, cause he, yeah. he was like, no, this is cool. I'm glad the movie was great. Um, but I really don't feel like writing another book and then decided to write it. Um, it, I do feel like it has some good merits to it. Uh, it did a couple of things that the first book only hinted at. Um, and mm-hmm. to a degree, I, I would, I would definitely say it's better than the lost world movie. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. You know, I was surprised at how much better than the movie yeah. it was. And I was kind of pissed that the movie didn't follow the book more closely. Cause I feel like it would have been better. You know, it was a good setup. Yes. Um, which is like a bit of a shame, um, that they went the route that they did. Uh, cause yeah. I, even Spielberg, cause I want to say it was kind of one of the odd, like combo things is neither Spielberg nor Crichton wanted a sequel. And yeah, exactly. They were kind of yeah, forced into like it. Like they both ended up doing a sequel. And it shows. Yeah. Um, yeah, though the most interesting thing that I learned was, um, oh wait, let me double check. When did Schindler's list come out? Um, was that the same year as Jurassic it, it, Park? So it was Jurassic Park. Um, he had to film Jurassic Park in a... He had to do most of it in a very limited amount of time. Um, so Yeah, it was one of those crazy, like, real fast yeah. schedule uh, movies. And it's amazing how well... While he out. was in Poland working on Schindler's List, he was still approving scenes for Jurassic Park. Um, wow. So it's kind of weird because it That's almost crazy. sounds like he didn't care about Jurassic Park, but that one was the one that turned out amazing. Um, well, Schindler's List was clearly a passion project yeah. for him. You know? Well, and uh, a drama. So he's directing like this fun action adventure film and a drama, like all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so neither one of them, like they were both pretty happy with how things turned out. Um, though I, I think... Spielberg was more willing to work on a sequel film than mm-hmm. uh, Crichton was to working on the book. Um, but one of the other, I'm not, I don't remember if it was a screenwriter or what, but one of the other hands in the making of the film, the lost world um, said he read the book uh, four times in the process of filming. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, Spielberg and I think the biggest problem that he faced and I don't know if this was his statement specifically about um, the lost world or about sequels Uh in general but it's that you have to go like bigger and better you have to do the same thing the exact same thing just more of it yeah being (laughs) the problem that this movie faced Um, true um you know, there's there's um, a nugget of a good movie in there. There's there's a cool concept there. I, I just don't know. It's probably the fact that they mm-hmm. rushed it. Both of them. Because they were, you know, Spielberg was basically making the movie as he was writing the book, if I'm not mistaken. At least the pre-production stuff. I know they um, were extremely close together. Um, yeah. But. And it seems like the ending of the of the movie may have been different because maybe the concept wasn't fully fleshed out when they're writing the script. I, I don't know, you know, 
but they definitely diverge at a certain point where it's like these are two different stories happening. Yeah, I, I feel like they diverge fairly early on. Like honestly, I think comparatively, that's true. I guess there's only one real difference that I think was an improvement in the film. Um, uh huh. And that's literally just uh, in Malcolm's daughter. Um, I liked that she was one child instead of two. Oh yeah. 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 So, so if you, sense. if you haven't read, um, the lost world from 1995, uh, so yeah, this was three years before the movie. Cause I think it was 98. No, it was 97. Oh, 90s. Okay. So two years, uh, just two years later. Um, yeah. Oh, I even have that. Where it's like the first one. So the, the first book I came, came out what? 1990, yeah, 1990 to And then the movie came out 1993. This was a much shorter window. This was 95 yeah. and 97. Um, yeah. So they never leave uh, Isla Sorna. Um, there's no California. Yeah, there's no T-Rex in uh, yeah. San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that is the strongest thing. And what, what uh, offends me the most is that Jurassic Park 3 is kind of trying to make up for... Um, what Jurassic Park two didn't, because mm-hmm. um, this movie is very focused on, and they, uh, I don't remember which book it was actually brought up in, um, if it was the first one or in this one, but they yeah. they knew that something was amiss with the first island because of the fact that like somehow magically dinosaurs were constantly being born there. And they were like, all of this yeah. is genetic testing. There's no way that every egg is going to be perfect and like magically mm-hmm. going to hatch. You know, no deformities, no um, like stillbirths, like everything is somehow magically perfect. Um, yeah. So site B was the testing ground. Um, yep. Which exactly. they, they go into like the tiniest bit of depth in Jurassic Park 3. Um, even though they're at the testing facility in Jurassic Park Two, um, and like I think that's where the films just kind of messed up everything. Is like they should never have gone to San Diego. They should have done that Jurassic Park Three story. They could have still had like a crazy third act yeah. on the island. Um, oh, totally. Yeah, I. It bums me out because there was a lot of potential there. I don't hate the T Rex in the city yeah. thing. But it, it feels like a different movie at that point. That should have been the third movie, yeah. of course. Um, and I, I I think I know why Spielberg wanted that in there, though. Um, are you familiar with the original Lost World? Uh, I'm not. We've talked so about that. Arthur Conan Doyle. I actually. Yeah. Arthur. Yeah. Arthur. I can never say his. Is it Arthur? Arthur Conan, yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle. Arthur the yeah, author Conan Doyle. The Sherlock guy. <laughs> yes. The Sherlock yeah. guy. Um, so he wrote a book in 1912 called The Lost World. Uh, it's basically an expedition to an island where there just miraculously happens to be dinosaurs around anymore. Obviously, today, that's pretty unlikely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we would know about it by now. Um, but so this ended up becoming a, a silent film in 1925. Um, and it's it was like a landmark movie for special effects. Mm-hmm. Like uh, this is what led to like King Kong and all that, you know. Uh, but there's a big part in the movie version. I don't know if this is in the book. I don't think it is. But uh, in in the original 
black and white silent film. There's a dinosaur that escapes onto the mainland. I think it's in London. Uh, I think they bring it to a museum to show off. And it's basically like this movie's like a proto King Kong. But instead of King Kong rampaging, it's like a brontosaurus or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and it, it is kind of weird that it wasn't a T-Rex because like, I mean, that's carnivore. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you brought a herbivore and the herbivore is like causing mass panic and re- wreaking havoc. Anyways, um but I think this was kind of Spielberg's nod to that movie. Uh, I mean, it has the same name, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> well, uh, so Crichton it feels like as a well. callback. Yeah, yeah, Crichton as well, for Clearly sure. Influenced. Yeah. Yep. And there's definitely, I think, some visual things going on there with the movie version. But um, yeah, I think I think in the book, The Lost World, the book. Sorry, the the Crichton Lost World <laughs> Jurassic Park. Um, I think there's actually a reference to the the Doyle story. Okay, I'm like a. I don't remember. I don't know if it's like just implied, but if it is, yeah. I don't think they specify Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not finding anything in my notes about like having written down the author's name. So if there is, it's probably like a somewhat obscure or like a niche reference, yeah. not obscure. It, Yeah, it could be. But it's like, um, I, I just remember, okay, so Levine, who's the main character, one of the main characters of the book, who's not even in the movie. Um, I want to say there's a scene with him where he's talking about rumors of an island where the dinosaurs have survived. But obviously that isn't the case. It's just site b engine site b you know <laughs> but that's like kind of where it first yeah comes up, because they didn't know um they didn't know where they were coming from um yeah because in uh the lost world begins um with a spinosaur like a baby spinosaur washing up on the costa rican beach um yeah it's like a carcass it's yeah all nasty and one of like one of the characters that i think <laughs> is really fun he's They've never used this character. Uh, let's see. Richard Levine. Yeah, Levine. Um, yeah. So he's really cool. He's basically like the the young gung-ho um, uh, Grant, Dr. Grant. Um, yep. Yeah, he's this book's yeah, Grant. <laughs> and he is uh, Ian Malcolm's biggest pain in the ass. Like... Ian Malcolm hates mm-hmm. him because yeah, they don't get along yeah, at all. He's, he yeah. has kind of like a, a Chad bro um, personality, but like he, okay. He is the one who wants so bad to believe in a lost world. That is probably what you're referring to is like talking about um, an Island. And I think he does say the lost world, um, but where mankind hasn't, you know, messed with it yet. Um, but a Spinosaur washes up on shore and like the government is just calling it an aberrant form of something else that lives there. Uh, and much like their solution yeah. to Isla Nublar, they set it on fire before he's able to get like a real <laughs> sample. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I thought that was a pretty strong opening. Though, it is you know? there. There is a lot of action and, um, you know, again, not to discount Lost World as being bad at all. Um, there's just a lot of it that because this particular time it's overshadowed by. Yeah, the original, it's overshadowed. Sure. <laughs> and I'd also just read the original. So when you 
you know, everyone else had mm-hmm. to wait five years. Um, yeah. So when you read it back to back, it's like, okay, we've sort of done this. Um, these things are only like slightly different. Like they had a ton of electric vehicles in the first book. And now we just have yeah. an electric motorcycle and electric um, double RV. Um, yeah. You know, and it's it's like, okay, that's only slightly different. And we still have two kids, only now they're slightly older. And the way that they get there yeah. is very like, um, like children's detective book where yeah. they just, <laughs> they right. literally just it's hide like the out. Hardy boys. In that whole subplot feels yeah. kind of weird. <laughs> Um, um, I, yeah, I do. That is one of my complaints right out the gate is that it does take a while to get to the point. Um, they don't get to the, like, okay. So the first one took a while. It took its time getting to the Island. This one feels like it took way longer. Like they were dragging their feet. Like it was almost like Crytonetic had to like meet like a word Mm -hmm. count. So he was just putting in all this filler material. And uh, one thing I was not a fan of throughout the book is they had, again, it was like the Ian Malcolm parts from the first book, but worse, uh, where there was these big, long tirades about um, what really killed the dinosaur, really killed the dinosaurs, which I thought was kind of ridiculous. Like, Mm. and maybe it's because of when it was written, but it feels like, like why are you arguing with the science bro <laughs> like the <laughs> i don't know that yeah. felt weird to me i don't know how did you I feel like about it? um to to a degree because i malcolm in both books is very long-winded um like it's good to speculate yeah. i just felt there's like, not like so even hmm. now because uh, that's one of the things i was reading in the the nat geo thing um sure like we don't know for certain that the asteroid could have killed everything. It could have killed a lot. Um, sure. Yeah, you know, it's more point. so the reactions of what happened because of that. Um, yeah, but exactly. I like one of the points that they make a lot. And I do appreciate this about Ian Malcolm in this book is Ian Malcolm is constantly trying to, um, like put the human race in its place. Where he like mm-hmm. he's constantly bringing up that he's like yeah okay these guys reigned and then they died and now we reign and like we think we're hot shit until we die <laughs> like you know yeah. but he does bring up a lot of like we don't know exactly what it was that killed the dinosaurs like it it is like up for debate I don't know where that true, was in ninety five um I know the oh I forget the name of the meteor um. But that was just one of the most accepted. And that's something that you have to take into consideration about, like, archaeological science. Um, Even in their own world is, like, scientists will fall into their own groups of what they do and don't believe. Um, And then, like, subgroups of the extent to how, like, what they believe of that. Um, It's it's basically just religion. That's a good point. yeah it's yeah (laughs) at a certain point especially with science like this where the evidence is so scarce to begin with that you're kind of connecting dots a lot of times it sounds like at least i'm not a i'm not a paleontologist yeah (laughs) but it 
Um, I did. I felt like it weighed the book down a little bit, considering that didn't really have anything to do with the rest of the story. You know what I mean? Like it was just kind of like this is Crichton getting his opinion out there. Is what yeah, it, felt like. it it kind of only goes into it. Yeah, I, I would absolutely heavily agree with that. Is this book? Um, I don't know that I made a note or not, but in the second book, I was just like, wait a minute, is Malcolm just Crichton? Like, is he a <laughs> yes, stand in? Yes. Um, that's why there was that rumor that <laughs> uh, Crichton played Ian yeah. Malcolm, <laughs> which is obviously yeah. not true. But it, uh, it, for the amount that there is, it doesn't really serve like the subplot because they are also wondering like this one. One of the big things is, um, how did they survive? Yeah, well, how do they survive? But also Sorry. why are they dying young? Um, because it's clear yeah. that like certain dinosaurs aren't living up to their full age, even though there is an abundance of like lysine based plants. Um, mm-hmm. and then like the big reveal at the very end, uh, that dinosaur graveyard. Well, the, the graveyard has always been there, but, um, it's, yeah. it's the whole, like, why is there a dinosaur graveyard? Uh, oh my God, where is that note? So it had, they compared it to um, like a real world issue where a lot of sheep were dying due to some kind of a disease. Um, So like they ended up having to kill a bunch of sheep in order to not spread the disease. Uh, But whatever the disease is, it, it can't not like you'd have to kill every dinosaur on the Island and then start from scratch again. Um, because every dinosaur yeah. is exposed to this. So like Shit. they have this limited lifespan. Um, yeah. And it, the, the whole, like, we don't know what the killed the dinosaurs and then the irony of it being like a mod, like it's this world of worlds thing where it's like a modern disease. That's is what's a good killing, point. you know? Yeah. yeah. A, a modern solvable yeah, no. problem, but the way that you solve the problem is by getting rid of it entirely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is kind of interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I didn't really, I guess, make that connection before. Uh, this was my mm-hmm. first time reading it and I kind of read through it pretty fast, but um, that is kind of interesting. Cause it's like, they have this control group, but there's still variables from the outside world that are influencing yeah. it. Um, so. It is worth mentioning that uh, like the biggest player in this um really is Dodgson. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Dodgson. We got Dodgson Dodgson over here. here. Nobody cares. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's how I felt about the new movie. I was so excited to see Dodgson. No one gave a shit. They were like, who? That guy that was briefly mentioned in a Hawaiian shirt. (laughs) I liked it because it was a connection to the original, but yeah, no, I think Dodgson is one of the strongest points in this book. He's a good villain. Uh, he's a he's yeah. a douche in this one. He is <laughs> truly the like it's all about the money. Um, he's very he's Hammond two point yeah. but more of a mercenary. Well, because he's guess. also um, he's very underhanded. Like he manipulates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that's the only reason that he has money and like continues to work for Biosyn. Um, is it really all comes down to like, he's never the one doing anything. Um, yeah, he finds the people and then like bribes them or manipulates them or they, they do 
outright state it, but it's a lot of uh, property theft. Um, so his yep. purpose in the first book was we're going to steal dino DNA and then reverse engineer it. And he had made Biosyn a lot of money by doing that with other things. Yeah, it was corporate. Uh, there you, yeah, those are the words I was looking for. So corporate espionage, espionage <laughs> and like he's basically their 007. Um, yep. <clears throat> their yeah, evil exactly. 007. Uh, yeah. More like yeah, 006. There you yeah. go. Sean Bean. <laughs> um, he's the Sean Bean in this movie, yeah. in this book. And it's so disappointing that he's not in the movie because that would have been a great character. That's what the movie needed was a villain, you know? Uh, I mean, he kind of got a villain, but it was more like just a scummy corporate guy who's basically, you know, Hammond from the yeah. first book. Um, so he's, you know, he manipulated uh, a different scientist at the, in this particular one, um, you know, but it, he is a big character and like, I, I do enjoy how much crap he goes through because I have several, I've, I've oh, noted yeah. several points in time in this book where it's like something happens and I would note um, Dodgson dies and then like... And then you have to go back and cross Yeah, it like off. on the next page. It's like, <laughs> so there's Dodgson here and it's like, what? <laughs> or like a chapter later. Yeah, a lot of fake like, outs. So Dodgson lot wakes of up, outs. you know, at the bottom of a cliff covered in mud and it's like, <laughs> what? Yeah, there was that scene with the compies. I was like, well, for sure yeah. he's dead now. And then he's like, I don't know. He was like bleeding out or something after that, but he survived. You know? Yes. Like, there's a there's lot of things. so much that happens. It, it's kind of funny. Um, but it's oh, deserved. It it's it's so you know? like the, the very end is, I think, perfect uh, because even the lead up. Yeah. Uh, he ends up in the mouth of a T-Rex. And that's one of the other points where I noted Dodgson finally gets eaten by a T-Rex. And then I think yeah. it is the next chapter is the T-Rex <laughs> delivering him. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Like, how are you in a T-Rex's <laughs> mouth and alive? And then when he actually gets killed, it's like, that's okay, right. No, that was good. <laughs> was it, was it the T-Rex feeding it to his yes. young? To his baby? So it's, oh, it's okay, a, that's what uh, Same, same, but different of the... Um, so, it's kind of similar yeah. to the ending. From, but in this yeah. one, there's also... The babies are younger, and there are multiple. Yeah, it wasn't just one. Yeah. That's right. It's like a nest. Um, yeah, because they, they had a nest. He ended up there. They stole some eggs. He broke a little baby's leg. So that's also kind of yeah. a really interesting thing is like they do repair the leg of a baby Rex in the book. Yep. Um, yep. Which I think does lead to some issues too. Let's yeah. Uh, because of the, the, the timing of it, um, it doesn't lead to any issues for uh, the baby, which was kind of their point. Um, yeah, of course. And one of the things that is really interesting um, Sarah Harding is also very different from her film character. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very she's different. Uh, actually a much better character. Yeah. In the book, more I would developed. absolutely say that um, she is better because she's extremely capable. Um, yep. Oh yeah. That whole scene. So Dodgson knocks her off a yeah. boat and she survives. Like she swims kind of like keeps her head above water, manages to get, uh, to shore she's like in a cave or something I yeah say. because 
that was um, the only way to get onto yeah. the island um, was through yeah. openings in the, the cliffside. Yeah, that was a terrifying scene. It was great the well the way it was written and everything. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, she's a trooper. <laughs> but she she studied. Uh, what's funny is she's this book's Muldoon because she. Yep. Yeah, she hangs out with cheetahs, yeah, uh, African hyenas predators specifically. Yeah, um, yeah, and they mention that offhandedly, I think, in the movie, but you never really see it. You don't really get a sense that she. Yeah, you, know you don't I mean? feel that her character is that capable, um, and she's like so oddly focused Which on taking photos. Um, yeah, but yeah, she's described That's as true. being like very buff. She has fairly short hair. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like she sounds like a badass. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think her and I want to say her and Dodgson are my favorites in this easily because just how how evil Dodgson is. Um, mm-hmm. and there is, and she's a survivor. Yeah, you know? which is really it works with the theme of the book about these creatures surviving. You know, thriving in the wild. Yeah. Um. You know, they make their own home. This is the one where they mention uh, the Carnotaurs that we spoke about earlier. And yeah, so one of the things that I didn't like, because they they certainly address it um, like very upfront, but never really go further into it. But the Carnotaurs mm-hmm. can um, change color and they sort of they, they say it's more like uh, marine life and uh, like the one marine animal that probably like has a, the best disguise is cuttlefish. Um, yep. Yeah. It had cuttlefish. Yeah, they don't actually, <laughs> I don't think they actually say the word cuttlefish. They just say that it, you know, reminds them of aquatic life because it's like instant. Mm-hmm. It's not a shift. It's instant change in skin tone. Um, yeah, that was cool. Though. Which I, I like, but then it seems like they put the focus on like the tone sort of changes, where and I think it's Malcolm talking because he still talks the most. That uh, yeah, they're like, well, you know, we don't really know what capabilities dinosaurs had, and while I'm okay with like the magic of you know maybe a Carnotaur could shift color, it's like yeah. you're leading me off with saying that this resembles like aquatic life, <laughs> because that goes into. That's a yeah. cool description, though. Like, I like it. But that's yeah. that's a big thing in um, Jurassic World 1. Yeah, yeah, it does. It reminded me a lot of Jurassic World, and I felt like this was maybe the inspiration yeah. for the uh, Indominus. Because they do mention you know, cuttlefish, specifically. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Like cuttlefish and... Um, I kind of... You know, like something else. Yeah. But, yeah, and it was like... It, it, it's a little bit of a bummer that um, at this point where the first book goes so far with like, these are man-made mm-hmm. mistakes, you know, it's man-made testing. Yeah. The second book is almost like, well, there's still some magic out there. We don't really know what they can do. And it's like, we don't, Yeah. but at some point it would have been cool if someone like specified, Oh yeah. You know, cuttlefish DNA. Um, yeah. It, it does seem like they were maybe, it does seem like Crichton was maybe hinting at like the hybrid thing. Like maybe some of this was intentional or, or just a, Um, like an unexpected result or yeah. yeah. Fluke, but it, because again, you know, metal addresses (laughs) it 
<laughs> Meddling as nature. science, but then treats it as magic. And yeah. like that, that kind of throughout the entire book, like I never forgot that. Um, it just sort of rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. And I was like, it, it felt like things were yeah. more, the chaos was more defined in the first book. Um, True. And this one, it's, again, it's like it's trying to focus on a type of magic, you know, uh, and an understanding that we don't really have because we've never done this before. And it's like, I'm not feeling it. Like, I'm really not. Yeah. <laughs> not when this yeah. is literally the test park. Like, no, totally, totally. It's, it just seemed like there was a lot of missed opportunities, especially since this is the last book, you know, like it, it didn't have um, it, it was missing yeah. something. You know, the first book had so much going for it. And this one felt I don't want to say lazy, but it felt like like even the writer didn't know where it was going. And it just kind of ends like it felt a little anticlimactic. Um at least to me. Yeah. Um, uh, how'd you how'd you feel about the way they wrap things up? Let's see, because it basically ends with um, Dodgson finally dying, and yeah, which was cool, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that part was great. The, the the actual deaths in this book were. Great. Oh yeah. That was by far the best part because the, the way they described it, like. I think the way he talks about like him being like snatched up by the T-Rex and like his, his bottom half goes numb or something because his spine snapped or something. I thought that was great. Yeah. You know, uh, being, Um, so the, the Raptors in this one, I appreciated because mm -hmm. these Raptors clearly didn't care about each other. Um, yeah, there's so many instances where like a Raptor gets injured and all of the other raptors surrounding them stop the hunt and eat that one. That's right. Yeah, that was yeah. a cool detail. And they, We'd never got anything oh like yeah, that in the no. movies. They're, they're like always pack hunters now. Um, and yeah. honestly, that's more... I'm pretty sure that is more the movie influence. Because I don't know that they were pack hunting in the books. Like... They they clearly had well, a pack, yeah. but I I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember any specific instances of pack hunting other than them like they knew how to mess with people. No, I guess they did. They were like testing. Yeah, they they did. Uh, they were and there was the part where they're testing the fences. Well, they, yeah, they test stuff, the fences. Like, they know how to lead people because they they mm-hmm. learned that if they left, people would go check out where they left from, and then they would come back from yes. a different angle. Um, so yeah, in, in Lost World, the Raptors. <laughs> do not care about each other. They don't even care about their young, which I think is interesting. Um, yeah. Like they'll snap and growl and scratch at young ones who are trying to get a bite to eat. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. Um, and it, it felt like maybe the reason they were acting this way is because they weren't brought up by other raptors. So they didn't know how to behave. Yeah. Know? Maybe it wasn't all genetic memory. You know, we just assume, you know, animals know how to, but who knows? It's all speculation. All of this yeah. is speculation, obviously. <laughs> but the, the book, there's still like funness to it. But again, you know, there is something, yeah. maybe not a laziness, but like an uninspiredness to a lot of it. Um, I would say the good parts are great. Like yeah. they're the, the tall grass sequences oh, yeah. are still terrifying. Um, oh, you know, yeah. the rap, like how the Raptors choose to hunt people is terrifying. 
and this one has a, a countdown clock. Um, for sure. They, they have, that's right. It, it does. Like 20, they have to yeah, get it's the like 18 hours or something like that. That was yeah. good. I felt like that really ramped up the tension because it was just them trying to survive an escape yeah. island. I think that's a great plot. Like they, they were literally um, only there and, you know, because you probably haven't read it if you're listening to this, but Levine ends up on the island and it's literally just a rescue mission. It's uh, Ian Malcolm and a couple yeah. of other people like and it's supposed to be Ian Malcolm and I think three other people going to rescue yeah. Levine and then despite Malcolm like really not wanting anything to do with more dinosaurs like they get sucked yeah. into their own science and decide to hang yeah. out even longer like yeah we got time and then another storm hits and everything yeah. goes to shit just like the first one <laughs> exactly so. yeah yeah it, it does feel like the second one but more you yeah because <laughs> uh, it's Jurassic Park without the fences yeah exactly and they do follow a lot of the same beats, maybe a little too closely, even the T-Rex stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, yeah, I still liked it. I still enjoyed it. If you're a fan of the movies, I highly recommend reading both books, even though the second book isn't as good as the first one. It's kind of hard to top that mm-hmm. first one. Um, they, You know, it's still a good book. Very, very much well, well worth the read. I would definitely put this book above the movie yes Um, no question the movie it has its moments but the book's superior absolutely for sure they're almost not even the same you know like they have a few similarities but they're far more different than they are this yeah (laughs) that makes sense i don't know i words are hard um (laughs) uh what else sorry uh there was something else i was gonna mention and then we're mm-hmm. going to wrap up soon. Uh, I guess at that point. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Shit. It's going to bother me. <laughs> well, there's no Vince Vaughn. So I think that's the other great plus about the book. Oh yeah. His character. That was exists. the other thing. Wait, hold on. Does his character exist? I don't. There's a, no, no. I Cause it, he's replaced by the actual people who work. Um, I, Eddie was a character, Eddie is similar, right? but Eddie is not the shop runner. Eddie is the assistant to He's Doc Thorne. Yeah, so it it's Doc Thorne and Eddie, and whoever Vince Vaughn played. Um, yeah. which I'm, I did I, not like. He was the throwaway character in the film. Oh, for sure. It's like, sure. oh, he's with Greenpeace. Um, it's like, no, he's not. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that whole so Nick Van Owen. Nope, cool. there is no Nick Van Owen in the book. No Nick. Yeah, for yeah. for the better. Uh, but it, I do think it was weird that he brought brought Ian Malcolm back, and I feel like the only reason he did that was because of Jeff Goldblum and the first movie. Yeah, um, being the unexpected, like you know, most popular character. He was the standout. Yeah, and I think Spielberg wanted to bring him back for the movie, and he probably was like, "Hey, you think you could put him back in the book?" bring him back from mm. the dead basically <laughs> i don't know that felt wrong um i feel like it should have been either a new character or just not have him you know like have grant come back i don't know um levine was cool though oh yeah like every other character in here uh, i i do feel like the characters are pretty well fleshed out with the exception of the kids 
Um, also, one of yeah. the things to keep in mind, the kids' names are R.B. Benton and Kelly Curtis. Uh, in the film, oh, okay. Malcolm's daughter's name is Kelly. So they oh, basically okay, just okay. smashed the two kids into one, which that is the single best decision yeah. the movie made. Because um, they sure. are very boring there's like so many points <laughs> when i'm just like yeah. oh my god like can we just get you know they're clearly yeah. one or the other is being used as like a point of tension but it's mm-hmm. like there's yeah. so much more going on you don't really need this like i yeah i kind of wanted them to <laughs> <laughs> like well like it would have at least yeah because like arby's the know, one that like he sustains multiple bother. concussions in a very short amount of time and it's like why is he not uh, dead like yeah well and the other weird thing was even malcolm gets injured again oh yeah like that's the, the same, other lazy part was it the same way i yeah that felt whereas uh, i made a note sorry when they uh, yeah page 719 malfi uh, malcolm gets morphined again <laughs> yeah, exactly and then it happens all uh, over well, we're, again we're just about out of time i guess we should jump back in one last time to do final thoughts and plugs um do you want to just back out and one quick question come back though. in before yeah. before that since i did the audiobook for this one was there a map of isla sorna in the physical uh, copy I've, I'm just yeah. curious because that'll earn points for me <laughs> in the front um it is it's in the rear wait oh that's cool well at least they had that going no this yeah hold on is this sorna or wait a minute the map (laughs) in both of them might be site b yeah yeah hold on what i don't even have this nublar in here maybe one was a mistake i wonder Huh. Well, I'm just going to check the first one to see if they had a different map. But the Do you have the copy with both books yeah, together? Yeah, it's it's the oh. Yeah. You know what Barnes and Noble likes to do? They do the hard cover with like a fancy cover and colored pages. Yep. That's what this is. Yeah. That's pretty cool though. Did you have any final thoughts on uh, The Lost World? Lost World um I feel like we've said enough. Um do read it, but there's just something about it that doesn't click and for having fewer characters. And I think more possibly better Mm -hmm. characters and like potentially even some spots where it's like better character interaction than the first book. Um, it's, it's so wild that there are so many things that feels like Crichton sort of learned from himself where it's like, I can make this thing better. Um, and then the things that don't work, it's where it just feels like he's repeating himself. Definitely, definitely. Um, but I, I would be fine. You know, this is another thing that it's like if if the first film had allowed to be had been allowed to stay horror and been filmed more like Jaws. Um, this novel sequel would have made for a much better movie. Like, I think that's probably the biggest loss in the Jurassic Park Mm -hmm. franchise is, you know, we got the much sillier um, film when I feel like this could have made for a much better. I I feel like this could have been up there with like aliens or like T2, (laughs) Um, you know, 
put in the right hands because Spielberg worked on it. So you could have gotten him or even like, you know, better yet, get James Cameron for the sequel. Yeah, that's I think that's the Um, thing is because it was a different type of movie, they maybe should have had a different director handle it, just like with Alien and Aliens, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I I feel like, you know, I feel like there's a really good movie in here. Oh, yeah. If they had Um, stuck to the book. For sure. Yeah, yeah, there there is a, a a really good movie if they had stuck to the book, but you yeah, know. yeah, it is what it is. Definitely read the first one and then maybe wait a week yeah. or two and then <laughs> yeah. check out. Yeah, the there's second. no rush on that second book, but I yeah, I would agree with that. Definitely read yeah, it. I I feel like you might enjoy it if you don't yeah, rush definitely. right into it. Um, and uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, um, there's actually a new Jurassic Park book, not by Crichton, obviously. Um, but it's a tie in with the Jurassic world movies called the evolution of Claire kind of odd, but, um, I'm sort of curious to check that out. I mean, it's obviously within the world of the movies, I would assume. (laughs) Yeah. But it's all about Claire's character in the Jurassic world movies. So I kind of, I haven't heard of this. It came up in my feed the other day and I was like, well, we're talking about Jurassic park books. I guess I should mention it. I haven't read it yet, but I kind of want to now, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I wonder if it's any good. Uh, there's one rating on the Barnes & Noble website. Man, it's 400 pages, <laughs> so it's just as long as the yeah. other ones. And I actually, I just pulled that one up, and I noticed another one called Jurassic Park Dead Islands. And it has, like, a cover with InGen and slash marks and some metal. So that's kind of cool looking. Well, I guess I got a few yeah. things I'm going to have to load <laughs> so, up yeah. on. Um, I guess uh, to any listeners out there, if you guys have read these, we'd love to hear about what your thoughts were. No spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, where can people find you, Corey? Yeah, so you can find me on uh, any um, social media outlet at Twimby Podcast. That's T-W-I-M-B Podcast. So, um Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm much more active on Twitter than anywhere else. Yeah, you can find me there. And then anywhere you listen to podcasts, search Twimby or The World is My Burrito, which is what mm-hmm. that stands for. Great podcast. Um, and then you way. can always shoot. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, and yeah, if anyone wants to reach out for anything, you can always hit me up at twimbypodcast at gmail.com. You can tell me my opinion sucks. I'll be fine with it. <laughs> Um, and I'll have to, I'll have to, we'll have to get together again for that Epic Fails episode that we keep putting off. We'll have to do that soon. Hoping in the next couple months. I'm, um, yeah, I'm excited. We'll make yeah. it happen. And, uh, you can find me all over social media as well at Eric Slater. That's Eric with the K Slater with the D, but you probably know that if you're listening to this, since this is a Patreon episode, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, be hard not to, <laughs> Yeah. but yeah, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Corey, for uh, taking the time to do this with me. I had a lot of fun digging into these. Yeah, same. And to the listeners, we do appreciate the support. Definitely. This is, uh, we love taking time out of our day to do this. For sure. And, uh, looking forward to talking about these next few movies with you. Heck yeah. You'll get our terrible opinions and (laughs) bad pronunciations of Attenborough. There you go. Got it. Attenborough. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Have a good one, man. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. If you like this episode, check out our Patreon for more great content like this and help support us to keep this show going. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network.
Follow us on Twitter at ProbablyWork for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com. Mm-hmm.